Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Friday, May 8th. I'm Lorraine Castanez. These are today's headlines. A monthly federal jobs report painting a dire picture of the U.S. economy. The unemployment rate surging past 14 percent, a situation not seen since the Great Depression. Across the country, a gradual reopening is underway. Restaurants, nail salons and other small businesses trying to pick up the pieces. And it's a case that shocked the nation. Now the alleged killers of 25-year-old African-American jogger Ahmaud Arbery under arrest for his murder. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. Hello and welcome to You News for Friday, May 8th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. We begin today with major news out of the White House. An aide to Vice President Mike Pence has tested positive for coronavirus. Senior administration officials confirmed to CNN today Vice President Pence was scheduled to travel to Des Moines, Iowa in the morning, but his departure from Andrews Air Force Base was delayed by nearly an hour as staff dealt with the news of the diagnosis. Reporters traveling with Pence said several staffers disembarked from Air Force Two just before takeoff. And we continue to see the number of COVID-19 cases rising. The West Wind discussing the confirmed case of coronavirus close to President Trump. This as the administration works on drafting a new set of guidelines from the CDC. The first case of coronavirus in the West Wing now confirmed. One of the president's personal military valets testing positive. I've had very little uh, contact, personal contact with this gentleman. Uh, know who he is, good person. The service member on the team that brings President Trump lunch and Diet Cokes in the Oval Office. The president has tested negative, but now says he and Vice President Mike Pence will get tested daily for coronavirus instead of weekly. And we're learning new details on the 17-page CDC guide to reopening the country that the White House reportedly rejected. A coronavirus task force official saying... Issuing overly specific instructions for how various types of businesses open up would be overly prescriptive and broad for the various circumstances states are experiencing throughout the country. The administration is now working on on a draft of new guidelines. I've been working with the CDC on the edits. It was more about simplification to really make sure that both the American people as well as public health officials understand the guidelines. And then really working on a whole area on surveillance for asymptomatic individuals. According to an expert from Johns Hopkins, no state has yet met the criteria set forth in the White House's earlier guidelines to reopen. The majority of the country lifting some restrictions by this weekend. Also, a new development in the race for a vaccine. Fortunately, it doesn't mutate the way influenza does, so we don't think it will have this sort of very rapid seasonal change that we have to deal with with influenza. Researchers say here in the U.S., we have a West Coast and East Coast version of the virus, but these minor differences won't hinder the quest for a vaccine. Drug maker Moderna moving at record speed, receiving FDA approval to advance to phase two of its vaccine study. We need to bring forward every potential vaccine that has the opportunity to help because time is of the essence. 
Many people have wondered how long immunity may last if you've been exposed to coronavirus. The NIH director says he's hoping immunity lasts more than a year, but warns that it could take years of tracking a person with antibodies to know that answer for sure. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. And one of the nation's largest drugstores is now expanding testing. Rite Aid is allowing anyone over the age of 18 to schedule a self-swab test online. You can even pre-register if you're not exhibiting symptoms. Company officials say you will not need a government ID to get tested, and it will have 71 testing sites in 12 states by May 11th. Most of the tests are administered through the store's drive through windows. Meanwhile, more devastating economic news. The U.S. unemployment rate hit 14.7 percent in April, the highest rate since the Great Depression. Claudio Seda has the details from Washington, D.C. Good afternoon from Washington, where the economy continues to be the headline and the Latinos are the hardest hit group. Let's take a look at the numbers. The unemployment rate jumped to 14.7% in April. This is the worst unemployment rate since the Great Depression. In general, the U.S. economy lost 20.5 billion jobs last month. This is, of course, according to data released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Also very troubling, data shows that unemployment rate for Latinos jumped to 18.9%, up to 6% in March. Now, economists said that as bad as these numbers are, they don't reflect the true number of people without jobs right now because because many people expect, expect their jobs back so that they're not counted and neither are people who have been giving up on looking for a job. So even though some businesses are beginning to reopen in certain states, we're seeing restaurants, factories, hotels, and small businesses that are still largely closed to prevent the spread of the coronavirus and well, the life of millions of millions of people to be, uh, they are continue to be impacted. But there is also hope. Some analysts are saying that we can see numbers grow by May, by the end of May after Labor Day, as many and many states continue to reopen their economies. Now back to you. Thank you, Claudia Oceda, reporting from Washington, D.C. And joining me now to talk about this jobs report is Michael Matowitz. He's an economist at the Center for American Progress. Michael, in February, which was just a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago, uh, the unemployment rate was 3.5 percent. What's your reaction to the April's job report? It's about the same as everybody's. It's really hard to see. I mean, this is just not something we're really prepared for. Um, you know, we're, we're sort of used to having recessions where you have a hit to the manufacturing sector, which just isn't that big. We just saw a huge unemployment or huge job losses in the service sector, which is like 70% of the economy. So it's, it's how you get really big numbers really fast. Now let's talk about who's included in this report and who isn't. I understand that people who are unemployed but aren't looking for a job aren't counted. Is that actually the case? Yeah, that's, that is our usual methodology, and people sort of recognize this is going to be a problem with this report because, well, it's really hard to look for a job if you're supposed to be in your house. 
So uh, there was additional guidance released with the report saying that if you factored in some of the temporary questions they had to deal with that, they thought the unemployment rate would be maybe five percentage points higher. Uh, this is also data from the week ending the 18th of April. So we've had another 7 million people file for unemployment claims since then. So yeah, it's, um, it's not good. And Michael, in addition to people losing their jobs, hours for millions of workers have also been reduced. How is this loss impacting the economy? So it's kind of hard to say what the the lot of the the real when you reopen effect is going to be yet. We know uh, the number of people who are working part time doubled last month, which is obviously somewhat a reflection of, of things being slower. What we don't know for sure is how much of this is coming because businesses have to close and how much of this is coming because people are scared to go to businesses. There's definitely some early data coming out that's showing that, you know, somewhat predictably when people don't feel safe, they don't really want to go to a restaurant. And that's one of the reasons that you see pretty much all economists at this point saying that we have to be health first or that we're not going to get the recovery we need. And that's definitely understandable. Michael, long term, what can we expect? How long do you think it'll take for the economy to bounce back? I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot in the air right now and there's a lot that we still can do. A lot of it has to come from the government, obviously. Uh, state and local governments are in a lot of trouble. They have to balance their budgets by the 1st of July, which is a very short period of time in those terms. Uh, they lay off, state governments laid off about a million people last month, uh, half a million teachers. So, you know, more more aid from the government to people who are out of work, people who are suffering in state and local governments is going to be crucial to getting us back anytime soon. Well, thank you so much for your time, Michael Matowitz, economist at the Center for American Progress. Thank you. And in an effort to help stem massive economic hardship, Democrats Lawmakers have joined forces to propose monthly payments of $2,000 to U.S. residents during the coronavirus pandemic. That includes payments for some children. The money would be in the form of a rebate program. The bill is proposed by Democratic Senators Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris and Ed Markey. However, the legislation has a tall climb on Capitol Hill, especially in the Republican-controlled Senate. The payments would be available to U.S. residents, including undocumented immigrants who pay taxes but don't have a Social Security number. And meanwhile, as reopening efforts continue around the country, a total of 44 states are actively listing some social distancing rules, California being one of them. This despite the rising number of coronavirus cases in some of those states and the threat of a second wave of the outbreak. Parts of the country continue to reopen at their own pace. In some states where malls are back in operation, this is what a soft reopening looks like. At least 39 states have already started easing restrictions, and at least five more will be reopening by today, even as COVID-19 cases continue to rise in some areas. Construction workers back on the clock in Michigan. Starting tomorrow in Nevada, where COVID has ravaged the tourism industry, you will be allowed to dine in at restaurants at 50% capacity, excluding casinos. And in Indiana, places of worship opening doors today ahead of weekend services. In Connecticut, the governor says he is taking baby steps. Nail salons and haircuts, only by appointment only, very strict. Restaurants outside only, you're 90% more likely to get infected inside than outside. 
So we are making baby steps as we slowly reopen our economy. Starting today, California calling on low-risk retailers to offer hands-free purchasing options through curbside pickup. The governor revealing the first known case of COVID-19 in the state happened in a salon. This whole thing started in the state of California, the first community spread in a nail salon. And I'm very worried about that. And many of these salons with people that had procedure masks on uh, were using gloves uh, and were uh, advancing higher levels of sanitation. More than two dozen shuttered DMV offices are also reopening. The state even allowing some malls to reopen in low-risk counties. We have masks, we have hand sanitizer. But small businesses like Catherine Becker's in downtown Napa are struggling. I don't blame the virus because that's, that's a real thing. I blame how we have reacted. Phil Murray, the governor of New Jersey, says he expects to be able to reopen beaches by Memorial Day, but he is in no rush given his state is second in the nation in the number of cases and deaths behind only New York. And another major story we're following, a break in the case of the young unarmed African-American man shot and killed while out jogging. A father and son caught on camera in that fatal incident have been arrested and charged with the murder of 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery. Rafael Rodriguez has more details on this latest development. Authorities making two arrests in the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. A camera captured the last moments of Arbery's life in February as he was jogging near his home in Brunswick, Georgia. Agents with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation were seen taking Gregory McMichael and his son Travis into custody late Thursday, charging both with murder. This is long overdue, uh, and this is just one step uh, toward justice and with a long, a long, long way to go. Gregory is a former police officer and a former investigator for a county prosecutor. Calls for their arrest have grown louder after video of the shooting surfaced this week, prompting Governor Brian Kemp to weigh in. There's a black male running down the street. The video shows the McMichaels waiting for Arbery with guns as the 25-year-old, who was unarmed, approached a white truck. There's a struggle between Arbery and Travis McMichael. Gunshots go off and Arbery collapses. There's a guy in the house right now. Was he just on the premises and not supposed to be? He's been caught on the camera a bunch before at night. The McMichaels told police they believed he was the same person seen on security cameras breaking into homes and had chased him, claiming they were trying to make a citizen's arrest. Because of their apparent connections to the father and son, two prosecutors recused themselves from the case. In a letter, one of those prosecutors says he sees the video differently, writing, Arbery initiated the fight, grabbed the shotgun, and under Georgia law, McMichael was allowed to use deadly force to protect himself. I think it was absurd that George Barnhill made the statement that Ahmad was the aggressor. Uh, he was clearly... Uh, defending himself and fighting for his life. Adding it was perfectly legal to stop Arbery in the first place. Ahmad, most of all, was loved by his family and peers. I mean, Ahmad didn't deserve to go the way that he went. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. Joining me now by phone is one of the attorneys representing the family of Ahmad Arbery, Chris Stewart. Chris, what's your reaction to the arrest and murder charges? Uh, we were ecstatic. Um, I mean, I, I hadn't shed a tear over a case since I represented Walter Scott's family. And we saw what happened in that video. 
Um, but this is just step one. You know, they have to be found guilty and, and then get a sentence. Um, the district attorneys who had this case initially also need to be investigated. There's a devastating video which we're actually playing right now. How confident are you that you'll be able to get a conviction for your client? Uh, we have faith in the district attorney to, you know, do his job. Um, you know, it's in their hands to get this conviction. Um, a third person still needs to be arrested uh, who took part in it. Um, and the corruption has to end uh, down there regarding uh, why this took so long. Chris, is the fact that one of the defendants was a former investigator for the police and district attorney's office complicating your case? Well, it, it complicates the entire situation because it, it, it's clear he has relationships with everyone down there. Uh, the first district attorney, he worked for her. Uh, they have pictures together. The second one, district attorney Barnhill, uh, his son works with uh, the shooter, um, the shooter's father. I mean, it's it's so intertwined, uh, it's hard to find out where bias is. And let me ask you, how is the family dealing with this obviously traumatic moment? Nothing can replace the loss of a loved one. You know, not even an arrest, not a conviction. Nothing can replace the loss of a loved one. In any situation, uh, you can't bring them back. Well, thank you so much for your time, Chris Stewart, via phone. He's part of the legal team representing Ahmad Arbery's family. We appreciate your time. Major retailer Costco says April sales fell as consumers eased off panic, panic buying due to the pandemic. That's the first month Costco's sales have dropped in years. The company says the numbers were down in April because of stay-at-home orders and social distancing restrictions. There were also mandatory store closures in some areas. Prior to April, Costco profited from shoppers' panic buying in bulk to gear up for the coronavirus pandemic. Costco's digital sales soared in April, however, rising 87 percent as consumers hunkered down at home. Analysts say big boss retailers like Costco, Walmart and Target will continue to hold on as retailers struggle. And looking around the country, Tyson Foods is reopening its plants in Maine, where workers tested positive for the coronavirus. Thursday, state health officials said the meat processing plant in Portland was reopening, but only at one quarter of its capacity. The Tyson Foods plant shut down last Friday after 51 workers contracted the disease, that number representing one-fifth of the 290 full-time workers at the facility. A spokesman said since then, all of the workers and contractors have been tested. The company says it is encouraging workers who feel sick to stay home. A New York City doctor and son of two proud immigrants is returning to the front lines. Back in March, he was busy diagnosing and treating patients in what now has become the U.S. epicenter of the pandemic. But as Fabiola Galindo explains, he soon found himself in his patient's shoes fighting for his life. Yo estuve enfermo por ocho días. It's the tale of an odyssey. Dr. Andres Maldonado did not think will survive. Do you know how you got it? I have ideas, but I can't know for sure. I work at the ER and I see many patients. And when this whole thing started, I tested people taking samples from their nose. And sometimes I got coughed on. 
It was back in March when he was fighting coronavirus at the three Bronx hospitals he works at that Dr. Maldonado started feeling COVID-19 symptoms. I didn't want to give my co-workers more work. I thought because I'm young, I would get better soon. But that didn't happen, and he ended up in the emergency room where he took care of his own patients. There, at the ICU, he received large amounts of oxygen, while his colleagues around grew worried. At his family's house, fear was overwhelming. His father, a refugee from the civil war in El Salvador, and his mother, an Ecuadorian immigrant, wouldn't stop praying. I was so scared, so desperate. The only thing my husband and I did was kneel down and pray, but sometimes kneeling is not enough. For some years, they were undocumented, but with hard work, they raised two children who went on to become doctors. That brought the family pride and now anxiety. They have taken the responsibility to save lives, and I know he could get the virus again. But Andres feels recovered, and after two weeks in quarantine, he's back at work and at the ER. He knows he's needed, especially among those who share his experience and his language. When I speak Spanish with my patients, I see the anxiety go away. They can tell me better where it hurts, how it hurts, and I can help them more. Now back with his co-workers, he thinks he might have gotten sick to better understand his patients. At a dangerous level, not many survive. In the Bronx, New York, Fabiola Galindo, U News. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your news, your world, your news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. In honor of Teacher Appreciation Week, we're going to touch base with a very special teacher. You might remember him. This video of his students went viral about two years ago. These mini dancers melted hearts across the internet, all thanks to their teacher, Edwin Sorto, who's instilling in them a love of dance and curiosity for other cultures. Edwin is joining me now. Edwin, these students, they're amazing. Where are they now? Uh, I hope they're home safe with the parents, you know, because we definitely can't be outside. But um, they're still learning through uh, remotely every day. Edwin, with schools closed, how have you adapted your classes and how are students responding? It was definitely hard for not only teachers, but parents, you know, because we are bringing... Uh, I mean, the, the parents are opening up their house, their homes to become part of the school. And it's a little bit hard for them, but uh, we, we've, get, we've gotten a lot of support from them and they understand that learning has got to continue regardless. And uh, we've been doing that ever since we got out and it's unfortunate, but uh, we still got to be here for our kiddos. And they're still dancing as I can see. Let's talk a little bit about your story. You came to this country at the age of 13 from El Salvador, and you actually yeah. started off in construction. How did you get into teaching salsa to kindergartners? 
Uh, in D.C., well, construction was like one of my biggest dreams since I was a kid. But at the end of the day, for me, it wasn't fulfilling my what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, there was a there was a uh, program called Capital Teaching Residency. So basically, they they train you to become a teacher, uh, and you train for uh, with a professional lead teacher. And I, after one year, they either give you the position or you got to try one more year. And I was uh, I was lucky enough to have a. Uh, principle that allowed me to do things that I wanted to do, which was dancing, Spanish, art, and PE. And I was given that opportunity, and, and it's been great ever since. It's been six years now. Good for you. That's a great story. Edwin, you've gotten a lot of attention and recognition for the work that you do. Did you ever expect that? And how well, have you taken away this experience? What have you taken away from this experience? You know, for me, dance is universal. So dance connects everyone in some sense. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's for I, the, the joy of the kids is what drives me to do it every day. Uh, it just, you know, dancing is not just dance. It helps the kids improve social skills, emotional, emotional well-being. So it's, it's a teamwork that we're, we're building. and We're building the kids to be a better human being later on, not just right now. Well, Edwin, thank you so much for your time. It was great talking to you. Edwin Sorto, you. kindergarten dance teacher. Right. Have a great thank weekend. You, so you too. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. <laughs>